I, uh, I wanted to uh, help you get in the mood for Christmas, and I thought maybe that would start it. I know the kids are getting in the mood because somebody rearranged all the presents underneath my tree uh, while Papa was babysitting, and uh, um, I, took the kid, I took some of the kids to the, um, one of the Christmas, Christmas in the Village in Breckenridge, and and they sat on Santa's lap, and um, one of them asked for a real snowmobile. And uh, that was Liam. He said, Santa can do that. I was like, I don't think he's going to, but he probably will because he can do that. Anyway, it's time to get ready. And, and you know what? If you can't summon up the joy, hang out with some children, right? Children are amazing. I, I um, will never forget these little kids up north when we had our little church up north. And I sat down in the front row one day, and this little boy tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, you can't sit there. And I said, why not? And he said, if you sit there, I can't see Jesus. <laughs> and I said, where's Jesus? And he said, right there. And I, said, I turned around and said to his mom, you got some splaining to do. And then another little, another little child at our church said, God rides a motorcycle. <laughs> He's so funny. <laughs> he was talking about Rick. <laughs> yeah, you got to teach your kids some things, you know. But uh, through the eyes of a child, you know, Christmas is um, amazing. It's magical. And you'll see all around town these signs that say, do you have a... a well, they don't have it? Oh, okay. Anyway, believe. Have you seen that? When at the craft show, we saw some things that were painted that said believe. You see pillows embroidered, believe. You see all these signs and posters and whatnot that say believe. Because there's a mood and there's a magic to Christmas. And, and you know, marketers want you to catch it. Children want you to catch it, right? I want you to catch it. But not exactly the same way that the marketers maybe are, are aiming at. Christmas has a mood. It's joyous. It's exhausting. It can be fearful um, financially. <laughs> and it can be very stressful. It can be beautiful. I think these trees are beautiful, aren't they? It can be peaceful, but it also can be painful and full of sorrow. And um, when I was younger, I had more outward struggles with things, you know, finances and parenting and marriage and, and you know, work and, and all those things. But as I get older, I find out that my struggles are more inward. They're things like my attitudes, you know, that I have to deal with and um, thoughts and... Um, the holidays can really be filled with a lot of struggle, and I, I don't want to bring you down. I'm going to lift you up, I promise. But I wrote this message when I was in the middle of a struggle, and um, I've talked to so many people. I still, I may not be around here all the time, but everybody's got my number. And I've talked to so many people that are just really struggling, 
And I want to bring some encouragement and some help in this season so that we can have the, the joy and, um, and we can move past the trans transitions in life that can cause struggle. For me, you know, one of the struggles that I went through recently was changing traditions because it's hard when you're 61. <laughs> and, I, you know, I remember when Rick and I got married, um, he wanted to celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve. And I just thought, that's wrong. <laughs> because we always got up at the crack of dawn, you know, to rip open the presents. We had this red cardboard fireplace. I don't know where my mom got it, but we all believe Santa was coming through that thing. And uh, we had presents, you know, galore underneath the tree. And we would get, wake them up, you know, and run in there and paper would be flying, you know. And then I married Rick, and he wanted to celebrate on Christmas Eve. Well, that's just wrong. And he also wants us to do one gift at a time and everybody watch. I'm like, you're joking, right? <laughs> I mean, what? This is going to take all day. We had just chaos at my house. That's the way we did it. That's the right way. <laughs> and then I talked to my mom about it. This was like 30 years ago, 28 years ago maybe, and she said, yeah, I always celebrated Christmas on Christmas Eve until I married your dad. And then I, we had to change our tradition. And that just shocked me. I thought we had, we had always, always done it the right way because that was the right way. But come to find out, my mom changed her tradition in her marriage just to, because that's what we do in marriage, right? We compromise. We, we come together with what we've learned and we make something new if we have to. And we're in the, a season now with eight children, eight grandchildren. We only had two girls. I keep telling them, I only had two. You can't both leave me. I need you both. And I should have had five. And then maybe the majority would still be with me. But anyway, I digress. We have eight grandchildren and our daughters have families and they want to do their own thing. They do. And it's okay, isn't it? You know what's ridiculous? You ever hear the story about the ham pan? About grandma always cut the end off her ham? Oh, for generations they cut the end off the ham. And it was a tradition that was passed down again and again and again. And every one year somebody said, why do we do this? And they're like, we don't know. We always do. We always do. And so that somebody went and asked great grandma, why do we cut the end off the ham, you know, for Christmas dinner? And she said, I never had a pan big enough. So sometimes our traditions, maybe it's time to let them go, right? But I'm telling you that it's a struggle. It can be a struggle. And, and again, at my age, I deal more with um, internal struggles. And uh, I had a problem in this transition. Maybe the reason I didn't preach this last week is because all my kids were going to be here. And then Lord didn't make it snow just because of me, I'm telling you. Um, 
I have this sign in my room. It's, uh, I stare at it when I lay in bed at night. It's actually a finger. And I don't know why, I don't know why I bought it actually, but I did. And it says, life is very short and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. It's actually a quote from a Beatles song from 1966. Yeah. And the, the name of the song is We Can Work It Out. And the chorus in that song goes on, or one of the verses says, try to see it my way while you see it your way. So we've all, we all have an opinion. That's right. Life is very short, and there's no time for fussing and fighting, my friend. You know, the, this message actually was prompted by my struggle, and I got up at 4.20 in the morning to talk to God about it. I couldn't sleep. Old people get up early. You heard that. It's true. Uh, they don't? No, they don't. I always wonder why these old people are like, I get up at 4.30 every day. Why? Be mostly because they're, they're uncomfortable and they can't sleep. Okay, that's my problem. But at 4.20 in the morning, I woke up and I was troubled in my soul. And so I decided to get up and talk to God about it. That's what I do. I get up and I went out and plugged in the Christmas tree. And, um, and I started writing in my journal. I'm a writer. I like to write. I have... I've been writing in journals for 30 years, 31 years. I used to think, you know, when the rapture happens, you know, people are going to find boxes and boxes of journals, and they're going to think, oh, what is that? And they'll read them all, and they'll get saved because they saw what God did in my life. But now I know that nobody is going to read 31 books of my, you know, uh, problems. And I, I used to think that, you know, uh, my, my, maybe someone in my family would read it. But the truth is now I'm taking them all with me so they won't be left behind to read about my problems, right? Anyway, I write letters. I write letters to God. I learned to do this many years ago. And I know that a lot of you in this room, I'm looking for, where's all the young people? <laughs> I'm sorry, old people. <laughs> Are there any young people? Okay, old people all over are raising their hands. I want you young people to hear me because I was young once and somebody taught me to write letters to God. Now, I'm a writer. Maybe you're not. Maybe you're a stump sitter. Maybe you're the guy who walks through the woods and finds a stump. We used to have a, a woods and there was a double stump. It was a tree, you know, with two trunks, double stump. And Rick would go out there and he'd sit on one and God would sit on the other and they'd talk. Maybe you're a walker. Maybe you, uh, uh, maybe you leave early for work and go park at the park and talk to God when you're troubled. I don't know where you go or how you do it. I just pray to God that you do it somehow, right? So I get up at 420 in the morning, and I start writing a letter to God, and I just write letters just like I learned in, I don't know, I probably learned how to do it accurately in college, but, you know, dear God. How are you this morning? I am fine. No. Um, I write to God and I tell him what is going on in my heart, what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling, 
what is happening. I just pour it out. I just pour it out. He can take it all. He can handle it. You know what I'm saying? And, and I've often said that I write because sometimes when I'm writing, things just pour out of me that aren't, weren't on my mind, but they were in my heart and in my soul, and I can express them to God. And, and so I write letters, and um, I was feeling defeated. I was feeling sorry for myself, let's just be honest. And you know who jumps right on that? We have an enemy. He hates us. He wants to see us destroyed. He jumps right on that and starts saying, yeah, they're doing you wrong. You should be mad. You should say this. You should do that. You don't deserve this. You know, all the stuff, you know, all the stuff, all the lies that just further defeat you. You got to be careful about that. You got to stop that. You have to silence that. So I ran to God and, and, uh, to push back the enemy, here's what I did. I began to confess what I believe. Still not up there. It's okay. It was going to say, believe, like you see on the, embroidered on the pillow at the store. It's okay. We don't need it. I began to confess what I believe. And, you know, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't feeling very good about my life, my situation, myself, my anything. I was feeling defeated. And, and the enemy was right there to say, yeah, you stink. And so I began to confess to God what I believe. Here's what I believe. Here's what I know is true. Here's what I know. And then I, I, I actually decided to throw this word in there. I still believe. I still believe. Because I learned a long time ago. I've been, I've been a Christian for 31 years and beyond because I accepted Jesus when I was a girl. My mom drug us, our kids, all the church kicking and screaming, you know. But I met Christ there. And so I know what I believe, but sometimes we got to stir ourselves up. And so in that moment, I began to confess, I still believe. I still believe this, God. I still believe that what you say is true. And here's what I wrote. I, I have a little bit of it for you. I said, I still believe that you hold my future and Rick's in your hand. We're one flesh, so I can, I can speak for him. To God. I still believe that you hold our future, Jesus, in the palm of your hand. I still believe that you are for me and that you are working things out on my behalf. I still believe that. I still believe that you are interested in my success. And that my success is in your hands, God. See, I know Diane. She's not all that. But God is in me. And because he is in me, I can have all that. I can be successful. I'm not talking just about material things either. I'm talking about success in life. God is interested in my success. And, and I wrote, I'm just reading what I wrote. And you grant it to me because you love me and because you want to watch me handle it well. I believe that God watches what we do. 
I still believe that you order my steps. You know, when I was young, I didn't know that anybody ordered my steps. I thought I had to figure it all out by myself. And I remember the, the <laughs> angst I felt at 20, 21 years old, 19, trying to figure out what am I supposed to do with my life? Who am I supposed to be? Where am I going to work? Who, you know, what am I supposed to do? How do I find the right direction? I did not know. What I know now is that the God that I serve has promised to order my steps. That means he sets them up and he leads me to the next step. He's promised that he'll do that for me. So I don't have to worry about what's down the road. I still believe that he orders my steps, even at 61. There's a scripture that says, even until your old age and your gray hair, it is I who will sustain you, says the Lord. Old age, gray hair, he's still taking care of me, and he's never going to stop. I still believe that you saw the beginning, you see the end, and everything in the middle. I still believe that. I still believe that you've ordained my life and that my success in every aspect of my life is all because of you and only you. You gave me gifts and talents and you've guided me to use them. You've opened doors and you've closed doors. You know, Pastor Rick and I have had to make a lot, make a lot of big decisions in our life and we've always stood on Revelation 3 and 8. It says, Behold, I open a door for you that no man can shut. So when we're faced with a decision, we'll go to the Lord and say, Lord, is this an open door that you've opened? Is this the open door? If not, Lord, shut it quickly. And you can trust him because he opens doors and he closes doors. And you, you don't want to kick down those closed doors, ladies and gentlemen. The open doors you can walk freely through, knowing that God has ordered this. That he's ordained it, right? I still believe, God, that you hear me and you see me. I wish you could know that what I felt in my heart, I was heartbroken. And I, and I needed to confess that God still sees me. And he hears me. He loves me. He's there. I still believe it. The nothing this world can throw at me is going to talk me out of it. He's proved himself to me so many times. He doesn't have to do it again. For several more pages, I poured out my heart to God, and I confessed his promises for me. And then he spoke back. Now you're going to go, what? What? She's a little cray-cray, that girl. Uh, no, God speaks to me. I see you shaking your head. Praise the Lord. You know, there are whole denominations that believe that God does not speak to you, that everything he was ever going to say, he wrote in this word, and there will be no more talking. Thank you very much. There are whole denominations that say, you're nuts, lady. God will never speak to you. I feel, you, know what I, you know what I would say to them? I feel so sorry for you. Because God wants to help you in this life, right? So he responded, and this is part of something that I learned, you know, years ago, decades ago, about in my relationship with God. I write him letters, and then he writes back. Now I move the pen, 
How do you know it's not you, Diane? I know because he doesn't sound like me. <laughs> Very often there's correction, but I welcome that. I ask for it. Correct me if I'm wrong, Lord. You know what? Do you want to live your life deceived and deceiving yourself? Correct me if I'm wrong, Lord. And here's what he said. I'm not going to read you all of it, but I'm going to read you some of it. He said, my child, sometimes he calls me Diane, sometimes daughter. I needed to be loved that morning. And he called me his kid. He said, I love you this morning and every morning. I see you this morning and every morning. I'm right here. I wish I could take you back to that living room. Because he was right there with me. He said, don't be afraid. You can trust me, Diane. That's where you'll find your peace. See, my peace was missing. Because I'm silent doesn't mean that I don't see or hear. I know how you struggle. I know how you hurt. I see your pain. I watched the whole thing unfold. There's nothing that happens in your life that God doesn't see. Your character was formed long before this present situation. Don't throw it away. I see you, Diane, and I am not disappointed. Now, that's a big thing for me because I've often felt in my life that I disappoint people. As a matter of fact, I used to have a motto when I was young. It was this. If you don't expect, don't expect anything from me, and then you won't be disappointed. <laughs> he's not disappointed in me, and he's not disappointed in you, no matter what. Here's, here's, here's the direction that he gave me that was specific. Do you know that God will address your specific issues? He said, bless your kids, Diane. Be their mom, the mom they need. See, I wanted to be the mom I needed to be. I wanted to be mom. I have a little uh, magnet on my refrigerator that's got an old lady with the rolling pin, and it says, because I'm the mom, that's why. <laughs> be the mom they need. See, I was being the mom that they didn't need. I, needed, I need to be the mom they need. I'm speaking to some of you whose kids maybe have grown up, and you still want to parent them and tell them what to do like you always did. They don't need that. You had 18 years. Your job is done. They need you. Be the mom they need, and it might change. Sometimes they need encouragement. Sometimes they need to vent. Sometimes they need you to move and allow for a new tradition. Sometimes I'm the one who has to do, make the transition. And, and it's not always fun. It's almost never fun. God said, I will keep you and I will keep them. And that, that's personal to me because from the day my daughters were born, I asked God to keep them. Keep them. That's been a continual, constant prayer. Keep them. Keep them, keep them, keep them. No matter where they go, what they do, keep them, God. And he said, he's going to. Am. 
He said, the generations continue, Diane, and I am the Lord of them all. So you might be sitting there thinking, really, God speaks to you personally, really. I know a lot of you I see are going, uh-huh. Yeah, praise the Lord. Some of you, if you don't understand this or you've never heard, you've never had God direct your um, specific issues, listen to me. There's a scripture in the Bible, Jesus said it. He said, it's good for you that I go away because when I go, the Father will send the Comforter and he'll live with you, he'll live in you and he'll be your inner guide. That is his spirit, the spirit of God. He lives in you. And he, is, he lives in you, not just, you know, so you can feel goosebumps or sing. Uh, he lives in you to be your inner guide, to be your comforter, to be your helper, to speak to you. It's the Holy Spirit I'm conversing with on my sofa in my living room. And, you know, something that really brought this home to me was um, in 1988, Jesse Duplantis, I don't know if you've ever heard of him, he's a um, preacher, reverend, pastor probably, he did a video called Close Encounters of the God Kind, I've talked about it before, you could get it on YouTube, I'm sure, and watch it, and, and I don't remember all of it, because it was 1988, but... Um, Something he said never left me, and it was this. He, he had this vision. I can't remember if he was in a car accident or I don't remember. I can't set it up. But he had this vision, and in this vision, he went to heaven, and he saw heaven. An angel met him, took him around, showed him around. I remember he said, wow, he was really surprised at how much like earth heaven was. And, and the angel said, well, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, the earth is his taste. And he went into the throne room, and he saw the glory of God. It was the most brilliant light he had ever seen, and he couldn't stand before it. He fell to his face, and he saw the glory of God filling the throne room. And out of that glory, Jesus walked. And when he could compose himself, he he leaned over to the angel and he said, I see the glory of God and I see Jesus Christ, my Lord. Where's the Holy Spirit? And the angel said, he's on the earth. He's still on the earth, ladies and gentlemen. He's still on the earth. He has not left the earth. Jesus said, I'm going to the right hand of my father. I'm going to Sit at the right hand of my father, right? Father sent the Holy Spirit. He's still on the earth. He wants to help you in this life. I know this isn't really a Christmas message, but maybe it's a message you need to hear. If you can't hear the Holy Speak, either you've never asked him. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus. Jesus is the way by which we gain access to the Father and the Spirit comes to live in us. Maybe you need to be filled up again with the Holy Spirit because, frankly, you leak. Maybe you've ignored him so long that you just don't, you can't hear him anymore. He's the inner witness. He's the helper. He's the comforter. He's the guide. Some days we need to stir ourselves up and remind ourselves what we believe. 
We need to be open to correction if it comes. Are any of us, do any of us measure up? Nope. Nope. None of us are perfect. That's why God sent Jesus. We couldn't save ourselves. Our right standing with God isn't based on what we do. It's based on what what he did, what Jesus did. You know, I realize that the struggle won't always be the same, nor will there always be a struggle. There isn't, there isn't, life isn't just a constant struggle. There's joy. There's peace. There's happiness. There's blessing. And there's struggles, too. They won't always be the same. There won't always be a struggle. And praise God that we don't get what we deserve. Right? So this holiday season, I want you to believe. But not in Santa. Listen, I'm not anti-Santa. Santa's a, Santa, Santa is a good guy. See, you know, the, the, the legend, the history of Santa, he, he, brought, he brings gifts to children. But the difference between Jesus and Santa is Santa didn't die for you. He didn't give up his life for you. And legend has it, he only gives gifts to the good boys and girls. Jesus said, God said, I looked down from heaven and there was no one good. No, not one. But that doesn't stop him, does it? No. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit and not just what he can give us. I'm not just talking about his gifts, but we do need his gifts. We need the things that I need, the things you need, the things that he can do for you that you can't do for yourself. I need his peace. I need his favor. I need adjusting from time to time. I'm going to read you a scripture. It's Hebrews um, one, this actually, I was going to do a little pitch for this Bible, not that I'm selling them or anything, but uh, my husband bought this for me. It's the Passion Translation. It's such a good, especially if you've been a Christian a long time, sometimes you want to just to get things fresh, read a new translation, the Passion Translation. It's amazing. I'm going to read you the first three verses of Hebrews. It goes like this. Throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time, building one truth upon another. But to us living in these last days, now God speaks to us openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything. For through him, God created the panorama of all things and all time. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, his mirror image. He holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins, and then he took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? That God would speak to us. That God would send his son for us. 
The scripture goes on to say that since all God's children have flesh and blood, Jesus became human to fully identify with us. He did this so he could experience death and annihilate the effects of the intimidating accuser who holds against us the power of death so that God can help us every time we pass through the ordeals of life. Listen, we're, we're going to pass through some ordeals, aren't we? Things, things happen. And, you know, God told me one time, the reason there's so many curves in the road is so you can't see what's around the corner. And I'm okay with that because I trust him, right? Whatever's around the corner, God's got it. And I don't, I, I have discovered that my worrying about things and trying to determine just how they're going to work out is just a big waste of time. He never has done anything the way I imagined it would happen. But he's bailed me out every time. But this is how you get through your ordeal. It's by remembering how you got through the last one. You know, I, I was thinking of uh, so many ordeals. The first one that came to mind was when we went on a trip one time. I don't know why, but maybe this will minister to somebody because I couldn't get out of my head. I've told you this story before, but I, don't, I only have so many stories, so you might hear them a few times. We, went, we took our kids on vacation to Canton, Ohio. Uh, to a water park for a, like a five-day music festival. It was all Christian bands. You know, everybody was there. It was amazing. It was hot. Rick shaved his head for the first time when we were there. He kept saying, look at, look at all these bald guys. I want to do that. And I said, well, I wasn't sure what kind of shape that noggin was in underneath there, you know what I'm saying? But then I thought, well, maybe if he gets some sun on that light bulb, it'll be all right. <laughs> and if it's not, we've got time to start growing it back a little bit, you know. Anyway, that was a bunny trail. Um, we enjoyed uh, a week with our kids, and uh, on the way home, we left the water park to come home, and we got 30 miles from the water park and our car overheated. And, uh, I mean, we were just the temperature gauge went, wow, or whichever way it goes. And we know that you got to stop, right? So we pulled over on the side of the road and, you know, waited. And uh, it cooled down. And so we got back on the road and we drove another 30 miles. And the temperature gauge went, Whoa. And so we pulled over, and we waited, and cooled down, and then we got back on the road, and we drove another 30 miles, and it overheated again. And Rick, at that point, Rick and I are looking at, to get at each other going, oh, no. I mean, we had no road service. We probably didn't have no money either. And um, we were just like, what are we going to do? Well, we just pray. Keep going. So we let the car cool down for 20 minutes. We could drive 30 miles. We had to stop for another 20 minutes, drive 30 miles, another 20 minutes. It was 300 miles to home. I remember at one point we were on the expressway and we were all sitting on the guardrail swinging our feet, you know, when the police pulled up and said, excuse me, uh, 
what is your whole family doing out here on the guardrail? You know, we're like, oh, we're just waiting for our car to cool down. And, uh, you know, we, we collected some rocks along the way. I think that was probably my idea. I learned it from my mother. We always had to stop and get rocks, didn't we, Mom, for the flower garden. And uh, um, one of these stops, we decided to pull into Meyer. There's Meyer right there. It was late. It was dark out. And uh, we all went in and get a snack. You know, we got 20 minutes to waste anyway, so you might as well shop around. The worst stop was 10 miles from home. We had to stop for 20 minutes and let the car cool down. But we made it. And you know what that funny story means to me? That no matter what, God will get you through. I think the biggest miracle that day was that nobody got mad, stressed out, angry, fussy. I mean, there was potential there for a whole lot of meltdown happening in that car, if you know what I mean. No meltdown. And those little rocks that we put in the flower garden, every time we saw those rocks, they reminded us of the God who got us home. You know what? This is how you get through your, your current ordeal is by remembering how God saved you the last time. And there won't every day won't be a struggle, but there will come another. But when you see those rocks, then you can go, yeah, God's got me. We're gonna, I don't know how we're gonna do it. I could tell you stories all day and I won't because I'm already out of time. But so many times when we needed what we didn't possess. And God got us through. He helped us. And so I want to ask you today, what do you believe? What do you believe about him? Do you believe he's for you? Do you really believe that? And if you believed it once, I want to ask you, do you still believe? And if you're struggling right now, stir that up in you. What do you still believe? Confess it to yourself and to the enemy. I backed him right on out of my pity party. By confessing the word of the Lord, that is, I truly believe. God has got me. You know, uh, um, I wanted to say, uh, I think this will just only take a minute. There's a lot of turmoil in our nation. But this is not the first time, young people. This is not the first time. King Solomon, the wisest king that ever lived, said there's nothing new under the sun. I don't think he knew about Apple technology, but other than that, the wars and the rumors of wars and the trials and the tribulations in life, they're not new. Do you know when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, we had the Vietnam War. Talk about turmoil. Talk about a divided nation. We impeached the president. And he actually left the office, unlike the second president that was impeached that never went away. But <clears throat> this isn't new. When I was in sixth grade, I learned to play guitar. And uh, one of the first songs I learned was a song by Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young. And I think the title was Four Dead in Ohio. Do you remember that? It was a song 
about campus violence on May 4th in 1970 when 13 unarmed college students at Kent State University were shot down by the Ohio National Guard during a mass protest against the bombing of Cambodia by U.S. military forces. Four dead, nine wounded. The, the uh, National Guard shot college students for protesting. There's nothing new. Pollution, disease, nothing new. Same God. He's the He's the God of the generations. Amen. Amen. He sees, he hears, he knows. He knows. He knows all about you. Even the things you don't want to say, he already knows. So I like to end um, with, a, with something that maybe will stick with you. And so I found this video. It's a brand new um, video. It's a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman, and it's called my. It's called Christmas Card. And, and I just want you to be encouraged this season. You know what, guys? We we're all we got two and a half weeks. We we might as well stir up some joy, okay? <laughs> stir up some joy because, just like Sharon said, the world needs it. This holiday marks the most amazing thing that has ever happened in the history of the world. And this baby, who's not in the manger because we don't put him in until Christmas Eve, hopefully, hopefully somebody knows where he's at. We lost him one year. He was in pastor's shower. But um, this baby, he came to this earth on purpose to change your life. And the world needs him. They need to know him. We got to stir up our joy, people. I know you might be sad. I know there are some sad people. Maybe they're not here today. But I've talked to them. I've seen their posts on Facebook. Let's send them a Christmas card.